right, it has been fantastic the last few days, and I am looking forward to a fantastic finish. I appreciate uh, Brother Hamlin coming out here. He he didn't know uh, he didn't know us from Adam, okay? Um, and so uh, I appreciate him taking a chance on us, and it has been a blessing. I know I've been stirred, but I hope you've been stirred. And we're looking forward to it tonight. Let's give him one final thank you as he comes to preach. Open your Bibles, the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 9. I, like my new friend, Brother Myers, find it very difficult to believe that we're in the closing moments of our winter revival meeting. I've enjoyed every moment. I've enjoyed every minute. And I certainly would be remiss if I did not take a moment and publicly thank my new friend, uh, Brother Myers, Mrs. Myers, the Myers family, and the wonderful church family of the Pacific Baptist Church here in Long Beach, California, for the privilege that has been mine to be here these days. Any number of far better preachers you could have invited to come. And so I'm honored and humbled to have had the uh, honor of being in your pulpit for this winter revival meeting. I immediately... When meeting uh, Brother Myers on Saturday morning when I flew in from Detroit, sensed a kindred spirit. And uh, the longer that I've been here, uh, that kindred spirit has only grown. It has only intensified. It has only gotten greater. And I appreciate the fact that uh, around here you have what I call an emphasis and excellence on everything. And I have a conviction about that. I believe the work of God ought to be done in a sharp, in a first class, and a presentable way. And I wasn't uh, on the property very long, but what I sensed that we shared that as well. And I've just been honored, I've just been honored, I've just been honored to be here these days. I appreciate the staff that you have. Brother Ross has done such a great job. And uh, Dr. Esposito and just others. I mean, you have a crack staff. I don't mean they're on crack, but you have a crack staff. And uh, they've just done such a great job and have gone out of their way with Brother Myers and making me feel welcome and at home and comfortable. I'll be quick to tell you, if Brother Myers does not invite me back, I'm going to come back anyhow. Oh, yeah, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to pout in the parking lot if he doesn't invite me back. So thank you so much for the comfortable motel room, delicious meals, warm times of fellowship, every act of kindness. Dr. Esposito, Jr., before the service, brought his dear mom to the book table, and I was honored to get to meet her. And so I've been just pleased, pleased, pleased with everything that I have seen and I have sensed in these handful of hours that I've been in the golden state. I believe that this preacher, uh, my new friend, Brother Steve Myers, and that this people, the Pacific Baptist Church, prove what I have said for decades, and that is old-time religion works. It works on both sides of the Mason-Dixon line and both sides of 
the Mississippi River. It works. And so I've been honored to be here. Gospel of Luke, chapter number nine. As you're turning there, let me make mention quickly that there's still a few things on the book table that may, uh, may interest you. And uh, you know, uh, Christmas really is just, just around the corner. And uh, on everyone's, uh, Brother Meyer's secret Christmas wish list is stuff on the Hamlin product table. And so uh, that's funnier than you're letting on. So you can go by the book table tonight and do just a little bit of Christmas shopping. And uh, I brought to the pulpit with me tonight uh, something that I've not made mention of since I've been here. Uh, it is a pamphlet that uh, the Sword of the Lord published entitled uh, Seven Public Enemies of Fundamentalism. It's a message that I've preached all across the country. And you'd say, well, what is fundamentalism? It's uh, old-time religion. You say, what is old-time religion? It is New Testament Christianity. They are all one in the same. And in this message, seven public enemies of fundamentalism, I tag them and I bag them. I spot them and I shoot them. I name them and I blame them. The seven public enemies of fundamentalism. Now, I won't give all seven to you because then you won't buy the pamphlet and I want you to buy the pamphlet. But the number one enemy of fundamentalism is, number one, are you ready? Calvinism. The number one enemy of fundamentalism. Knock, knock. Not Calvinists, they don't knock on doors. And so... So, I go ahead and name all seven public enemies of fundamentalism. It is hard-hitting, and I just go ahead and expose what those enemies are. If you'll get it tonight, I will throw in the card, Secrets to the Power of God. You'll find it interesting, uh, Brother Myers, back in 2017, I had one of my heroes, Dr. Sammy Allen, come to hear me preach. I was preaching in Dalton, Georgia. And Dr. Allen came on a Monday night, came on a Tuesday night to hear me. And both nights, he and I got a bite to eat together. And over a meal, after I'd preached one of those nights, I'd said to Dr. Allen, what would you say are the mistruths, the secrets, if you will, to the power of God? And when, he said, when I asked him that, he immediately, I mean right now, quickly, didn't even ponder, didn't even pause, but he quickly listed six things I took out a pen and a three-by-five card, and I wrote down those six things word for word. And when I got back, Dr. Esposito Jr., to my motel room, I took my Bible, put six Bible verses to it. And uh, if you'll get seven public enemies of fundamentalism tonight, and again, Christmas is right around the corner, makes an excellent stocking stuffer, I will throw in, I will throw in secrets to the power of God. If anyone knew what the power of God was, certainly it was one of my heroes, Dr. Sammy Allen. Also on the book table is the uh, soul winner's card, the only open door to heaven. Now, whether you're a beginner soul winner or an advanced soul winner, uh, you can use this card. It's laminated. I, I used it on the way to the service tonight and led Brother Ross to Christ and I got them lined up for baptism on Sunday, and it works. I'm telling you, it works. And so you can uh, get that. It's on the book table as well, and I've certainly enjoyed so much. 
every moment of being here and thank you for your extreme kindness. Gospel of Luke, chapter number nine, and I'll take but one verse of scripture for our text and it will be verse number 62. Gospel of Luke, chapter nine and verse number 62. And I would invite you to stand with me as I read the word of God. Gospel of Luke, chapter number nine and verse number 62. And Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. There is in this verse a word that I've underlined in my Bible and you may underscore in yours and it's the word plow. P-L-O-U-G-H plow. When we started our winter revival meeting in Sunday school on Sunday, I spoke on the subject, four secrets. A little birdie told me about revival. Sunday morning, playing games at Galgotha. Sunday night, my prayer for a prodigal nation. And if you're in the service last night, Tuesday night, you know that I spoke on the subject, the right side isn't the left side. And the left side isn't the right side. But keeping in the forefront of our thinking tonight for just a few moments, that word plow. I want to speak to you on this subject. Just keep plowing. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this privilege to stand behind a sacred desk to preach the word of God. If in my heart I want to be a blessing, but the only way that I can be is if you hide me behind the cross and fill me with the Spirit, place a hedge, around this great church by the blood of Christ to keep the devil and his demons from hindering this service. Save the sinner and stir the saint. Heavenly Father, for all that you'll do in our midst and even in our hearts tonight, we will be careful to give you all the praise and honor, and and glory. Bless and protect my precious family as I am away. Give us fresh, warm bread from the oven of heaven to feed from tonight. Lord, I'd request, oh, how I would request that you'd clothe me in my calling. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. If a person were to pick one thing, which would be the core or the center of any definite enterprise for eternity outside outside of a divine endowment, the correct choice would be a decisive Endurance. Armies win battles that are dedicated. Teams win games that are 
dogged, and believers win crowns that are devoted. It is impossible to place too high of a premium on perseverance in the world or even in the church. Just keep plowing. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 9, we find the high cost of discipleship. Now, I would challenge you not this moment, but before you pillow your head, to go back to Luke chapter number 9 and read carefully and prayerfully the 62 verses that make up this chapter because that is its topic, that is its truth, that is its theme, the high cost of discipleship. Now, this chapter could be easily or effortlessly outlined like this. Christ equips us, verses 1 through 6. Christ enables us, verses 7 through 17. Christ encourages us, verses 18 through 36. And then Christ endures us, verses 37 through 62. It is well that physician Luke is dealing under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit with Christ endures us that a person sees one of the most stirring statements within the covers of the Holy Scriptures. Verse 62, And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. The word plow in agriculture is a well-known, Brother Myers, implement that is drawn by horses, Democrats, Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. Mules uh, or oxen for the turning up of the soil to prepare it for bearing crops. The sister verse of Luke 9, 62 is 1 Corinthians 9, 10. And as you've already heard me say several times in this winter revival meeting, for every verse in the Bible, there is what I call a sister verse. And often that sister verse will throw more light upon the verse that you're musing, meditating, or making a study of. Again, the sister verse of Luke 9, 62 is 1 Corinthians 9, 10, that he that ploweth should plow in hope. The knave's topical Bible states, the plow in the scriptures represents to labor in any calling. One Bible student now in heaven uh, for many years once uh, said about our text, every plowman uh, is worthy, that is worthy of the name, will recognize conditions suited to his enterprise and stay at his plow until the task is completed. Never forget, the lovely Lord Jesus Christ never had a plaque on the wall for a spiritual dropout during his earthly ministry. Now, if you miss everything that I preach tonight, I pray that you would not miss that. And it even bears repeating the lovely, the lovely, the lovely Lord Jesus Christ never had a plaque on the wall for a spiritual dropout during his earthly ministry. Friend, you and I, those of us that are saved and serving, need to simply just 
keep plowing. That means if you're in the choir, just keep plowing. That means if you're in the bus ministry, just keep plowing. That means uh, if you're uh, a Sunday school teacher, just keep plowing. That means uh, uh, if you're uh, in the sound booth, uh, if you're an usher, uh, that means uh, if you're the church custodian, that means if you teach in the Christian school, that means if you're the butcher, the baker, or the candlestick maker, just keep plowing. Quickly tonight, there are seven Bible reasons, basic Bible reasons for the believer to keep their hand firmly on the plow handle. You may want to take out a pencil and somewhere in your Bible scratch these things down, but my, how you would be far better if God would take an eternal pen and write these things upon my heart and upon your heart as well. Just keep plowing. Number one, God is up to something. Exodus 2, 5, and the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river and her maidens walked along by the riverside and when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. A Bible reason, a basic Bible reason for the believer to keep their hand firmly on the plow handle is because God is up to something. In Exodus 2, 5, the prophet Moses tells us that God had his omnipotent shadow upon him even as a baby in a basket among the bulrushes. A person, Brother Myers, must keep in their mind that there are five main characters in the powerful narrative of Moses' early life. Number one, Pharaoh. Number two, Moses' mother, Jochebed. Number three, Moses' sister, Miriam. Number four, Pharaoh's daughter. And number five, God. After Jochebed gives birth to him, she immediately hides him from the godless Pharaoh who is having all the male children born uh, to the children of Israel killed either by drowning them or having them fed to Nile River crocodiles so that Israel couldn't rise up against him and have him thrown off of his throne. It soon got to the place where Jochebed couldn't conceal Moses any longer, so she put him in a boat and left him in the bulrushes. As Miriam watches Pharaoh's daughter is bathing in the river, sees the basket, has it brought to her, opens it, and God, oh my, dispatches one of his angels from heaven to pinch Baby Moses, fat little leg, he cries. Pharaoh's daughter's heart is moved with compassion, keeps him, and then asks Miriam to get a Hebrew woman to nurse him. So Miriam carries Moses back to his mother, Jochebed's arms to be raised, and Pharaoh's daughter is none the wiser. Let a person while reading this story in the scriptures, turn and tune their ear towards the sky and they would possibly hear heaven's choir singing behind a frowning providence. He hides a smiling face. His purpose will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud 
may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Friend, you and I need to just keep plowing, need to just keep plowing. Friend, you and I need to just keep plowing because God is up to something. Breaking news, no Christian will quit on God when they consider he isn't sitting on his throne in a quandary about what to do in their situation. I read some time ago where Robert Louis Stevenson, the great American author, once told of a storm that caught a vessel off of a rocky coast and threatened to drive it and the passengers to destruction. In the midst of the terror, one daring man, contrary to orders, went to the deck, made a dangerous passage to the pilot house and saw the steerman at his post holding the wheel unwaveringly inch by inch there turning the ship out once more to see the pilot saw the watcher and smiled. Then (laughs) the daring passenger went below deck and gave out a note of cheer. I have seen the face of the pilot and he smiled. All is well. Hey, Christian, well, I'll be the first to say that I don't know all that God is doing in this hour. I shall also state that I saw his smiling face on the pages of the Bible this morning and he smiled, all is well. Oh, we've got to just keep plowing. We've got to just keep plowing. We've got to just keep plowing because God is up to something. Number two, it's the last days. Second Timothy 3, 1, this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. A Bible reason, a basic Bible reason for the believer to keep their hand firmly on the plow handle is because it's the last days. In 2 Timothy 3.1, the apostle Paul tells us that the period prior to the rapture of the church will be particularly dangerous days. He lists 19 iniquities of individuals in the shadow or the cusp of the second coming and all of these sinful scandals can be seen on the front page of any major world newspaper. Friend, you and I need to just keep plowing, need to just keep plowing. Friend, you and I need to just keep plowing because it's the last days. Now, I don't have to say this here because like everywhere I preach, it's a Bible preaching and it's a Bible teaching church. And so I don't have to say this here, but the Bible is a book of prophecy. In fact, if prophecy uh, was uh, holes in the Bible's cheese, uh, the Bible would be Swiss cheese. You can't hardly turn a page without finding something that God has said, that God has stated about prophecy. I realize, uh, Brother Myers, that people love to hear about prophecy. In fact, uh, though we've had great crowds, we could have just named it a prophecy meeting and would have increased the attendance by, I don't know, 
four million. Uh, but it's just everybody wants to hear about prophecy and hear about prophecy and hear about prophecy. Uh, Mrs. Hamlin was uh, in the nail salon. Um, Mrs. Myers, not too long ago, and uh, she gave the nail tech <coughs> a gospel track uh, and uh, said, here's some good news from the Bible. Everybody can use some good news. My husband wrote it. And uh, the nail tech looked at Mrs. Hamlin and said, is your husband a preacher? And Mrs. Hamlin said, oh, yes, he's a preacher. And the nail tech said, mind you, everybody uh, is fascinated and, and fixated on prophecy. And the nail tech said, well, is he a prophecy preacher? And Dr. Esposito Jr., as only Mrs. Hamlin could say, she said, oh, yes, He's a prophecy preacher. He can predict who's going to get ticked off before he gets up to preach. He is a prophecy preacher. <laughs> well, there are several second coming signs that Christ condenses into a single scripture. And, and it may shock you, stun you, and even surprise you, but first of all, luxury. Matthew 24, 38, for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating. A second coming sign that Christ condenses into a single scripture is luxury. It is not that you can get a hamburger at a drive through that means the rapture is near, but you can get a hamburger with 10,000 toppings that points to the sand of time running out on the hourglass of this age. Luxury, secondly, liquor. Matthew 24, 38, and drinking. A second coming sign that Christ condenses into a single scripture is liquor. A bottle of booze is far more accessible than a half a gallon, a half a gallon of milk today. Boy, I'd like to be president for a day. And apparently anybody can be. I'd like to be president for a day. I wouldn't even want a full term. I, I wouldn't even want a half a term. I wouldn't even run for a second term. But if I could be president for a day, I would make sure that on every can of beer and on every jug of wine and on every bottle of whiskey, there would be a skull and crossbones because it is poison, it is poison, it is poison. And a second coming sign that Christ condenses into a single scripture is liquor. By the way, while I'm on that, let me get on this. You don't drink to be sociable. You drink because you want to. I can prove it. After the service, let's say, those of you who think that you drink to be sociable, after the service, I want you to take me to Walmart. And we'll look for the pharmacy aisle. And in the pharmacy aisle, I'll go ahead and get a great big bottle of castor oil. And we'll pay for it. We'll go out in the car and I'll pop the top and I'll take a great big swig and then I'll pass it over to you. And if you've ever had castor oil once, you won't have castor oil twice. So you don't drink because you want to be sociable. You drink because you want to. 
And it'd be a wonderful thing if some of God's people realized there's no such thing as a sipping saint in the Bible. And you just got your warner sanctified. You got your warner separated. Boy, I tell you what, uh, a second coming sign that Christ condenses uh, into a single scripture is liquor. I like what my hero, Billy Sunday, once said. He said, liquor's all right in its place, and its place is in hell. Liquor, thirdly, loose living. Matthew 24, 38, marrying and given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. A second coming sign that Christ condenses into a single scripture is loose living. When the wedding rang, the wedding altar, and the wedding certificate doesn't mean anything, lift up your eyes for your redemption draweth nigh. Loose living. All oh, that every person that is in this service would realize that the second coming signs that Christ condensed into a single scripture is luxury and liquor and loose living. You know what has to happen next for the Lord to come back? You may want to write this down somewhere. Nothing. In fact, we ought to stop looking at signs and Dr. Esposito Jr., we ought to start listening for a shout because there's absolutely nothing that has to happen. Oh, that's better than you're letting on. This is such good preaching. I can't wait till I get done, get back to the motel room and sign that Gideon Bible in the nightstand twice. <laughs> there is nothing that has to take place for the Lord to come back. Oh, there's not a, a hue of the color red uh, that would match the face uh, of the embarrassed Christian who quit today only for Jesus to come in the clouds tomorrow. Oh, a basic Bible reason why we have to just keep plowing, why we have to just keep plowing, why we have to just keep plowing. It's the last days. Number three, the next generation is paying attention. Psalm 145, for one generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. A Bible reason, a basic Bible reason for the believer to keep their hand firmly on the plow handle is because the next generation is paying attention. Gary, as you were leading the, her brother Nick, as you were leading the singing tonight, that's Brother Gary over there, that's Brother Nick there. Brother Ryan, that's you. I think I called you by the wrong name coming in. I'm sorry. His name's not Jill. <laughs> but Brother Nick, as you were leading the singing tonight, I happened to notice this front row. And I almost started to weep. The next generation the next generation, the next generation. And that's a basic Bible reason that we have to keep our hand firmly on the plow handle. The next generation is paying attention. In Psalm 145, 4, the psalmist David tells us that it is the holy responsibility 
of the older generation to repeat the truths, testimonies and teachings into the ears of the younger generation. Friend, you and I need to just keep plowing, need to just keep plowing, need to just keep plowing because the next generation is paying attention. Now I'm mindful that when dealing uh, with the next generation, Brother Daniel Esposito, we often think that what we say goes in one ear, picks up speed, and goes out the other ear. And there's reason for us to think that. You do understand it's the next generation that will unplug our life support machine to charge their iPhone. <laughs> That's a wonderful thought right there. You do understand that. And I understand that sometimes when, when dealing with the next generation, we have this idea that, well, what we say, it goes in one ear and it picks up speed and it goes, up, it goes out the other. But I want you to know, I want you to hear me and hear me well tonight. There are some that are paying attention. There are some that are getting it. There are some that are listening. Let me try to illustrate. I was 17 years of age when God saved me and called me to preach. The great Rochester Hills Baptist Church in Rochester Hills, Michigan, where later <coughs> I would preach tent meetings and revival meetings and preach there uh, on, a, on a regular basis. When I got saved and called to preach, they, they were having what was called, um, Brother Myers, the Mid-America Conference on Evangelism. And, and at 17 years of age, I, I went to that conference. Uh, and I remember a, after service one night, I got to hear Dr. Curtis Hudson preach and he was then the uh, editor uh, of the Sword of the Lord. And I remember after the service, uh, Dr. Hudson was in uh, uh, the uh, lobby of the church and he was selling uh, sword books and getting subscriptions and uh, signing Bibles and speaking to people. And, and I remember I waited to talk to him and, uh, and Brother Gary, when it seemed like the lobby had cleared out, uh, I... I told him I appreciated the message and, and uh, I was honored to get to meet him and, and I took my Bible uh, and I asked Dr. Curtis Hudson to sign my Bible. I'll never forget it. And I remember he, he reached into his pocket uh, and he pulled out uh, a beautiful uh, uh, pen. It was a hallmark, some of you will remember this, a hallmark uh, wood pen. At the time, uh, Brother Nick, Hallmark, the card company, had about five different, I don't know if you remember this or not, Brother Myers, but they had five different just uh, sharp wood pens that were uh, pointed with gold accents. They were beautiful. And Dr. Hudson pulled one of those out of his pocket and signed my Bible, Curtis Hudson, and his life verse, Proverbs eleven thirty: the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he that winneth souls is wise. Uh, and, he, and he took that, that wood pen, Brother Gary, if I'm lying, I'm frying. He took that wood pen uh, and stuck it back in his pocket. And the next day, you gotta know what I did. At 17 years of age, I went and found a Hallmark card company and I bought one of them wood pens and just last week I finished paying for it. <laughs> the next generation 
is paying attention. Breaking news, old time religion will survive another generation if my generation doesn't lay down on the job. A Greek proverb states a society. And since it's a Greek proverb and not one of God's proverbs, we can tinker with it a little bit. And so I would change the words to a society and have it say the faith of our fathers grows great when old men plant trees in whose shade they shall never sit. A basic Bible reason to stay in the choir. A basic Bible reason to stay on the bus route. A basic Bible reason to stay in the ministry. A basic Bible reason to keep doing what you're doing for the Lord is the next generation is paying attention. Number four, somebody would be heartbroken if we quit, 2 Timothy 4.10, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, a basic Bible reason for the believer to keep their hand firmly on the plow handle is because somebody would be heartbroken if we quit. In 2 Timothy 4.10, the apostle Paul tells us that in his own personal ministry, he had a deserter, and his name was Demas. No question, when Brother Demas there walked away from the will of God, the word of God, and the work of God, the one who trained him and took him under wing and, tr and, trusted, and trusted him was totally heartbroken. Friend, you and I need to just keep plowing, need to just keep plowing, need to just keep plowing because somebody would be heartbroken if we quit. Your name is on someone's prayer list. Your photo by way of a prayer card is on their refrigerator. Or even your signature, oh my, and light verse is on the flyleaf of their Bible and they would be absolutely devastated when the news hit their ears that you quit on God. So, oh, Dr. Hamlin, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a pastor. I'm not, I'm not a missionary. That, that makes no difference whatsoever because you're someone's hero. You're someone's example. You're someone's role model. And you may not realize it, but there's someone in this church that if in any given service, your path should cross with their path, they so look up to you that it made their day. Look at the text. Luke 9 and 62 plow. Luke 9 and 62 plow. Luke 9 and 62, plow, Charles Sumner was a great senator from Massachusetts and an eloquent pleader for the slaves and for the union. And he drank of a bitter cup of sorrow in his domestic life when he was taken ill and died. There lay Brother Myers uh, on his table a volume of Shakespeare. This passage uh, in King Henry VI, probably the last lines upon which his eyes ever gazed, marked with his own hand, would I were dead, if God's good will were so, for what is in this world 
but grief and woe. I have come to this pulpit tonight in this winter revival meeting 2023 to say to all those that are under the sound of my voice and watching my, winter, my internet, would I word bad than to disappoint or discourage some great saint of God because I deserted my service for God. Oh, we gotta keep plowing. We gotta keep plowing. We gotta keep plowing because somebody would be heartbroken if we quit. Number five, get ready to dial 911. America needs it. Proverbs 14, 34, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. A basic Bible reason for the believer to keep their hand firmly on the plow handle is because America needs it. In Proverbs 14, 34, the wise man Solomon tells us that it is godliness and never ungodliness that keeps a nation alive and advancing for its citizens. Amen. On the top of the trash heap of history, they're the nations, peoples, and societies that allowed the world, the flesh, and even the devil to guide and govern them. It was President Ronald Reagan who once said, if we ever forget that we're one nation under God, we'll be a nation gone under Friend, you and I need to just keep plowing, need to just keep plowing. You and I need to just keep plowing because uh, America needs it. There's not an hour, big statement. There's not an hour on the clock of this country, but what she desperately needs are preaching, our praying, and our presenting the gospel to people. This should drive home my point on November 6th, 2021, the United States Navy launched and christened a support ship, the USNS Harvey Milk. Harvey Milk was a gay rights activist who was the first openly gay politicians elected in 1977 to the San Francisco Board of supervisors. By the way, I have to interject, he was discharged out of the Navy during the Korean War because of a deviant lifestyle. Now friend, we should never call gay what God doesn't smile about. And we should never call gay what God doesn't laugh about. He was discharged out of the Navy because of a lifestyle that Leviticus 18, 22 still calls an abomination. Now I wonder what the Chinese think. I wonder what the North Koreans think. I wonder what the Russians think when they heard we have a sissy ship. Oh, Dr. Hamlet, I, I wouldn't say that if I were you. I know you wouldn't say it. That's why God had me say it because he knew you wouldn't say it. We gotta keep plowing. We've gotta keep plowing. We've gotta keep plowing. We've gotta keep plowing. Stay in the choir. Stay in the bus ministry. Stay in the Sunday school class. 
uh, stay uh, driving the shuttle from parking lot A uh, to the house of God, stay and you fill in the blank of whatever you're doing for the Lord in your labor in the local church. We gotta just keep plowing. We have to just keep plowing. We have to just keep plowing because America needs it. Number six, one day we won't be able to. James 4.14, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. A basic Bible reason for the believer to keep their hand firmly on the plow handle is because one day we won't be able to. In James 4.14, the Apostle James tells us that a person's life saved or lost is brief at best. He gives the riveting word picture of our earthly existence as a vanishing vapor here in a minute and then gone in a moment. Friend, you and I, I mean, it's a Bible reason. It's a basic Bible reason that you and I need to just keep plowing is because one day we won't be able to. Last year, 2022, I preached 470 times last year. But Gary, I will preach every bit of that this year, if not, if not more. 470 times last year, every day of my life, at three in the afternoon, I begin to head to seven o'clock in the evening. I'll rest a little bit. By the way, when I pillow my head tonight, I will have preached four times just today, twice in this meeting, and two times on my radio broadcast. Four times just today when the day is over. I'll get a little bit of rest. I'll pray about what the Lord would have me preach. I'll look over the message, Dr. Esposito Jr., that I believe the Lord's laid upon my heart. I'll iron a dress shirt. I'll shave. I'll shine my preaching shoes. I'll shower. I'll pray a little bit more. I'll get out of the shower and I'll get dressed and I'll get a uh, suit on and tie a Killer necktie, say amen right there. They're gonna put on my headstone this quote from me, life is too short to wear an ugly necktie. <laughs> They'll put that on my headstone. And I'll pick up my Bible. And Brother Gary, I'll head to a pulpit. 470 times last year, that's what I did. I'm not being morbid, but I'm mindful at 62 years of age, I am mindful that I have more time behind me than I have in front of me. And there'll be one afternoon I rest for the last time. And there'll be one afternoon that I'll shave and shower for the last time and there'll be one afternoon that I'll shine my preaching shoes for the last time and there'll be one afternoon that I'll look over the message I believe that God has laid upon my heart 
for the last time and there'll be one, one time that'll be the last time that I'll uh, uh, put on a necktie and I'll tie it and I'll pick up my Bible and put my suit coat on and head out the motel room door. There'll be one time that'll be the last time. And I don't know when it is, but I've got to just keep plowing. I've got to just keep plowing. I've got to just keep plowing because one day we won't be able to. Unvarnished truth uh, for all of us, uh, barring the return uh, of the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there is a casket, a vault, a grave plot, a death certificate, uh, and uh, a headstone with our name on it. In fact, the shoelaces that you tied this morning, the undertaker may untie tonight. One day you won't be able to sing in the choir. One day you won't be able to drive the Sunday school bus. One day you won't be able to teach that Sunday school class. Uh, Brother Myers, I'm not being morbid, but it's just a fact. One day we'll not be able to go to the pulpit and preach. We've got to just keep plowing. We have to just keep plowing. We have to just keep plowing. Because one day we won't be able to. And then number seven, and last of all, my time is gone. Not only number one, God is up to something. Number two, it's the last days. Number three, the next generation is paying attention. Number four, somebody would be heartbroken if we quit. Number five, America needs it. Number six, one day we won't be able to. And number seven, and last of all, the judgment seat of Christ awaits us. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done whether it be good or bad. A Bible reason <coughs> a basic Bible reason for the believer to keep their hand firmly on the plow handle is because the judgment seat of Christ awaits us. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, the Apostle Paul tells us that after the rapture of the church, all believers will report for the review of the crowns. Evangelist Oliver B. Green once wrote about this yet future event. The basis of this judgment will be stewardship and works and the result of this judgment will be reward or loss of reward by believers. Friend, you and I need to just keep plowing, need to just keep plowing. Friend, you and I need to just keep plowing because the judgment seat of Christ awaits us. Don't miss this. Crowns gotten at the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ will not be kept by believers but will be given back to Christ. Amen. I think sometimes Brother Myers, there's some Christians and I'm not being harsh, God knows my heart. But I think there's sometimes Christians who get this idea that we're going to get a crown 
And by the way, let me, let me chase a rabbit for a moment, shoot it, skin it, and give somebody some soft slippers. Um, I believe that every believer can win at least one crown. Every believer. I'm afraid, I think sometimes, Brother Ryan, that there, there are believers that have this wrong idea that we're gonna get a crown and we're gonna keep it. That, that we're gonna get a crown and uh, we're just gonna wear it in heaven. And, and we'll walk down golden streets through gates of pearl and sport our crown but friend, I'm here to tell you, if you and I should be so fortunate to get a crown, we'll not keep that crown, we'll not wear that crown, we'll not put that crown on our mansion mantle, we'll not sport that crown, but we'll cast that crown back to the feet of Jesus. And that's why we have to just keep plowing. That's why we have to just keep plowing. That's why we have to just keep plowing because the judgment seat of Christ awaits us. If you think that the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to be laughing and blowing bubbles with bubble gum and that you're going to be skipping, you must be reading that King James Bible closed and upside down too. Because if I understand the judgment seat of Christ off of the pages of this King James Bible saying it is going to be serious. And that's why we have to just keep plowing. We have to just keep plowing. We have to just keep plowing because the judgment seat of Christ awaits us. Please look back at the text, Luke 9 and 62, plow. That's to you, Sunday school teacher. Uh, that, that's to you, Sunday school bus driver. That, that's to you, uh, staff member. That, that's to you, church pianist. That, that's to you, choir member. Uh, that, that's to you, Christian school teacher. Uh, that is to you, uh, uh, pastor, evangelist, and missionary. That, that's to you, college student. Uh, that's to you, Christian school student. That's to you, child of God. We gotta plow, we gotta plow. We got to plow because the judgment seat of Christ awaits us. I remember when I got saved and called to preach. Dr. Esposito Jr. in 1979, you could not go to a fundamental church in 1979. You could not. And in a week of services, which would be Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, midweek prayer meeting, you could not go to a fundamental church in 1979 in a week of services without hearing at least one thing about the judgment seat of Christ. And now I'm afraid, Brother Myers, and the best of our fundamental churches, we don't hear a word about the judgment seat of Christ. And it's still in there. We gotta just keep plowing. Amen. We have to just keep plowing. We have to just keep plowing. Amen. Because the judgment seat of Christ awaits us. My time is gone. It is reported 
that towards the end of her life, Queen Elizabeth II, it is reported, heard one of her chaplains in one of her chapels deliver a series of sermons on the second coming. And after one of those sermons in that series on the second coming, it is reported that uh, Queen Elizabeth II, as she was leaving the service, said to the chaplain, I am so enjoying your sermons on the second coming. And the chaplain was somewhat, Brother Myers, Myers uh, puzzled by that. And he asked the queen, he said, your majesty, I appreciate you enjoying the messages on the second coming, but uh, you say that you're enjoying them. And she said, I am. And Brother Snyder, she said, it is reported, I so long for the Lord to come in my lifetime. The chaplain said, well, your majesty, if you'll permit me, why would you say that? And her lip quivered. And her eyes filled with tears. And her voice broke with emotion and she said, I want the Lord to come in my lifetime so that I might be able to take my crown and cast it at his feet. Queen Elizabeth II died. You're aware of that. Maybe you're like me. Brother Tim, I watched some of those proceedings and some of those processions. Just because I don't know the next time in my lifetime a queen is going to die. And I remember uh, watching how that every time they moved the queen's coffin, her earthly remains, every time they moved her casket, I noted that you could always see that crown. In fact, I found out that part of being in the royal family, Brother Gary, is that you design your own hearse. And then they build it to spec. And exactly how it's designed is how they build it and they use it for the funeral. Well, the queen had glass all over the area or all in the area where the coffin, where the earthly remains, where the casket was. And she even, uh, Dr. Esposito Jr., she had lights uh, placed in the inside so when they, they move that casket and they move those earthly remains and they move that coffin at night, you could see the crown on the casket, the crown on the earthly remains, the crown on the coffin. And I saw some of that and I did a little bit of reading and I did a little bit of research and I, I found out, oh my, oh my, if you know what was coming like I know what's coming, you'd say oh my too. I did a little reading and I did a little research and, and I discovered that that crown on the casket, on the earthly remains, on the coffin of Queen Elizabeth II, that crown is three to five billion dollars, that's with a B, a big B, of cost. Three to five billion dollars was the cost of that crown. And then, Brother Snyder, I thought about how that crown won't even be a doorstep 
a doorstop in our heavenly mansion compared to the crown that the unrecognized and the unknown and the uncelebrated faithful Christian will receive. They'll give it back to the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. The judgment seat of Christ awaits us. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Seven basic Bible reasons to just keep plowing. I wonder with every head bowed and every eye closed who could lift their hand and say, Preacher, I know that I know that I know that I know if I were to die right now, heaven is my eternal home, main floor, balcony, balcony, main floor. If I were to die right now, heaven's my eternal home. You'd lift your hand and leave it saved and sure. Saved and sure. Saved and sure. Thank you. You may put them down. You're here tonight, dear one, and you, you couldn't raise your hand, but you would lift it now. And by raising it, you're saying, I need to be saved and I need to trust Christ. And preacher, I don't want to die and go to a devil's hell. You lift your hand, say, I need to be saved. Preacher, pray for me. Pray for me. You're here tonight, and as a believer, God spoke to your heart. And somewhere along the message, maybe several somewheres, you got a Bible reason, a basic Bible reason just to keep plowing. As we stand to our feet, I'm not even going to ask for the raising of a hand. I don't believe for the Myers in a church like this, in a meeting like this, in a service like this, I don't believe that we should have to put a GPS on people's Bibles and program altar to get them to come. Just keep plowing. tonight or watching my way of internet and though you've not taken pen and paper or computer and email and wrote out a resignation literally mentally you have but you'd say Dr. Hamlin by the good grace of God I'm not going to quit that resignation that's in my mind, no one will ever know about it. I'm just gonna keep plowing.
heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Brother Ross, if you'd get my preaching jacket, please, sir. Thank you. Appreciate it. Two years ago, on a Saturday night, Brother Myers, I was to fly from Detroit to Nashville. Had the last flight. It was a Saturday night. The next day, I was to preach a big day for a young preacher in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Got to the gate on... Thank you, sir. Saturday night, just as I was getting to the gate, the ticket agent said the flight has been delayed till 1.30 Sunday morning. So at 1.30 Sunday morning, we boarded, and I flew to Nashville. It's interesting. I left at 1.30 Detroit time, and I got to Nashville 1.30 <laughs> Detroit time, Nashville time because we're Eastern time and they're Central time, but it still was Sunday morning. And I had to preach a big day and three times that Sunday and then turn it right back around and fly back to Detroit, first flight Monday morning and start a conference that Monday night about an hour, hour and a half from the house. And it was so late or early, depending on how you look at it, that Sunday morning, the Myers. So when I got off the plane, I just kind of took my time to the baggage pickup area. No need to rush. It was that late. And when I got there, I, I noticed that my luggage, my suitcase, my suit bag, was already off the baggage claim belt. And there was standing there a Delta ticket agent, and she had a big smile on her face. And before I could speak to her and ask what was wrong with my luggage, she said, good morning, Dr. Hamlin. I said, yes, ma'am, it's morning. She said, I got your luggage for you. She said, I'm sorry about the flight being delayed, but I got it for you. And she said, whenever there's a flight from Detroit, I'm always looking at the luggage and the flight manifest to see if you're on the flight that I might just get your luggage and be a blessing to you. I said, well, ma'am, I appreciate that. Thank you. And I said, I know it's not your fault that the flight was delayed. It's not a problem. I said, now refresh my memory. When and where did we meet? And Brother Myers, tears welled up in her eyes, and she said, well, you, you won't remember this. She said, but when I was a little girl, you'd come every spring and hold a revival meeting at our church. And she said, in, in my first Bible, I've got some of your outlines in the margins. And she said, I got married and we moved to Nashville. And she said, I work for Delta. And she said, every time there's a flight from Detroit, I'm looking for you. And I thought to myself, I was so thankful and grateful that I wasn't embarrassed, that I wasn't ashamed. That I, that I didn't say to her, well, I used to preach and I used to travel the nation and I used to be an evangelist, but I say that, say this. We've got to just keep plowing. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you've not yet made that decision, please, please, please 
don't let this service end. My folks have been so responsive, so receptive to the preaching. But don't let this meeting end tonight without you doing right now what the Lord would have you do. And it just could be that your coming would cause someone else to come. Pastor.